Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Arsblog 20 podcast series in which we celebrate 20 years of Arsblog by talking to a guest about a calendar year of the site's existence between 2002 and 2022. This time around, we're talking 2013 and with me to do exactly that is Lewis Ambrose. Hello, Lewis. Andrew, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, we've got cake and party streamers and all kinds. (laughs) We don't. We don't have any of that. Arsene Wenger's <laughs> having a party. Yeah, what did he... What was something bringing... Who's this guy, Charlie? Not sure who he is. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know him. Never heard of him. Never heard of him. So 2013, um, it's an interesting year, I have to say. Where are we Where are we going to start? Um, <laughs> at, the, at the beginning, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, I, I, have you got a sort of running order in your head or have you been doing that for these have you done these just sort of january to december it just or? whatever way it comes out just whatever you whatever incidents you picked we discuss them and we go at them in whatever order you like i mean there is some sense to doing the vaguely chronologically but you know vaguely what's the first thing you think of um what was the first thing you thought of when you asked me which year um which year i'd like to do and there were a few already taken and then i picked this year what was what's the first thing that pops into your head when you think of 2013 for arsenal mesut ozil yeah (laughs) pretty much right Mm. yeah should we start there why not why not let's let's talk about it it was um yeah i mean the context i suppose of the signing is that uh, Arsenal had lost their first game of the of the season to Aston Villa, Anthony Taylor doing Anthony Taylor things, and we lost 3-1 at home, and well, it's fair to say people weren't best pleased. Uh, yeah, to put it mildly, <laughs> I remember that that game, there were injuries for, I think, Kieran Gibbs, there was a concussion for Bakary Sanya, then we went down to 10 men as well. Mm. And I'm I'm pretty sure we ended the game with Lucas Podolski at left back and Aaron Ramsey at centre back. It was it was only the last like two minutes in injury time while we were chasing an equaliser. But if memory serves, I'm pretty confident that it was like Jenkinson, Ramsey, Murtasaka, and Podolski as the as the back four for the closing couple of minutes of that one. Wow. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, you can when you hear that and then you think that we hadn't signed a striker as well or or any sort of creative player either. I think you can understand the the quite furious atmosphere yeah. that, uh, that engulfed. And, and we'd let quite a lot of, you know, top-class attacking talent go that summer because Andre Arshavin left, Gervinho left, 
Uh, Marouane Shamak left, and, uh, you know, of course, Andre Santos left. <laughs> Always a threat, that guy. <laughs> Yeah, we'd, we'd ended the previous season really strongly too. We'll obviously talk about that at some point. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then I think we we turned up. We scored the first goal of the Premier League season that day. Olivier Giroud mm. scored quite early in that game against Villa. And then there was uh, just fury after Villa came back, beat us. Anthony Taylor, as you said, had his hand involved there, a disgrace to his federation. Um, although not yet at that point. He was building uh, and, up yeah, to then, it. And then, and then Fury, we hadn't signed Gonzalo Higuain, um, who was booed at the Emirates Cup because we'd decided not to pay the amount of money that was wanted for him, right? Yeah, I mean, I think... That's kind of what happened, but it was it was a mad summer building up to that, wasn't it? Because the the Higuain thing had been going on like all summer long. Was that also the summer of Suarez? It was the summer of Suarez, yeah. Uh, Luis Suarez on the front page of Guardian Sports section begging Liverpool to let him leave mm. because of the the forty million pound plus plus another pound bid. That what, what do you what do you remember thinking at the time? Like did that. I I couldn't get my head around at the time why that wasn't accept like why Liverpool got away with not accepting this bid unless obviously now I think we all know it probably just wasn't really written properly into the contract. Yeah, I mean, it, but I couldn't understand at the time how the club could just say no and everyone sort of knew this bid existed or this clause existed for over forty million pounds. Uh, I obviously understand the sort of ridicule because it sounds so ridiculous but I just didn't really get why Liverpool got away with not letting us sign him I don't think it was an official release clause was it yeah. as far as I'm aware it was just like a tacit agreement with with Suarez and his agent that if um, you know a bid came in over 40 million pounds they would talk about it or let him talk to the club in question or whatever it wasn't a release clause as we might understand it you know um, yeah, which at the time we didn't know, obviously. Yeah. Uh, there was talk of a release clause. So, yeah, we had Luis Suarez begging to come and join Arsenal. Um, imagine what that could have turned out like. Yeah. Uh, obviously then went into the North London derby the day before deadline day, having not signed anybody. Yeah, and the Higuain, he ended up going to Napoli. And, I mean, there was all sorts of stuff with Higuain and his brother or his dad or whoever was his agent. Well, and it it's was always a brother. Why is it always a brother? Yeah. I don't know. Anelka, Hussam Awa last year. There there always seems to be a meddling brother involved on Mm. the agent side of things. Yeah. Who... Who it never seems to pan out our way when that happens either. But yeah, uh, then, well, I think we... We started all right after that. We started really well after that, after that disappointment against Aston Villa and obviously played Spurs on, I think it was the 1st of September. Um, yes. And and beat them 1-0. I remember not just Olivier Giroud's goal, but a great save from, from Wojciech Szczesny. I think it was Defoe who hit a ball on the turn. Right. And it took a big deflection and Szczesny, right near the end of the game, it was like five minutes to go or in the final five minutes, it leapt across the goal. Um, I actually remember being on the train on the way to this game with my brother and seeing we'd been linked there'd been all this talk about Real Madrid right and oh they're going to sign Bale so they're going to have to let someone go Mm. 
and it was the I think it was the first of September, so deadline day had been like moved to the second of September because of the weekend. That's right. And then I remember seeing the the Real Madrid team and Meza Ozil not playing on the train on the way to the ground and Benzema was playing and Di Maria was playing and me and my brother on the train very quickly got quite giddy about the idea that well if he's not playing maybe he's the one that they could possibly sell (laughs) obviously not knowing anything about it not having any idea it would been much more strongly linked with the other two but they both started which just felt a bit weird so we were like maybe maybe we've got a chance to sign him as Ozil and then then in the pub after the game uh, you start to hear about these quotes trickling through from Arsene Wenger and his his little smile with Sky Sports after we'd won the game yeah the the, the hint that something was coming but um, yeah the the idea that he was going to come in at that point and for the kind of fee that was being talked about it seemed sort of Fanciful, And I know it was one of those situations where a lot of pieces needed to happen. You know, there was some subterfuge as well, wasn't there? Because Daniel Levy at Tottenham was not willing to sell Gareth Bale to Real Madrid if he thought that they were going to sell us Mesut Ozil. So it was a weird thing that they were trying to keep their interest under wraps. And I don't know if it was Gazidis or Dick Law flew to Madrid, one of them anyway, and one of them flew somewhere else to make it look like they were looking at some other player. (laughs) It was all a bit mad. Yeah, crazy, crazy. And then, uh, and then in the end, he was he was on international duty as well, I think. Right, so we mm. didn't even we didn't even get to see him at the ground. There was no press conference or anything for for sort of ten days or so. So we signed him, but he did his medical in Germany with the national team. Uh, Arsenal obviously had a camera over there to get an interview with him that went up on the website. I seem to remember anyway, but we didn't that was it then we had to wait 10 days to actually see him put on an Arsenal shirt and it was it was just strange I think it was quite as a fan it felt quite cathartic after all these years of losing world class players yeah to then go out there and be able to sign one and I mean other than Dennis Burkamp, probably since Dennis Burkamp, the biggest name that Arsenal mm. brought to Arsenal. And even Burkamp arrived off the back of a, a sort of disappointing couple of years in Italy. So this felt like the first time, maybe the first time ever, Arsenal would sign like a world superstar at the very top of his game. It's just having missed out on Suarez and Higuain as well, just really, really exciting. Yeah, I'm, I'm just reading back on what I wrote at the time on Ars blog. And I said, yesterday, we've pulled off one of the most incredible pieces of business in the club's history and brought one of the best players in the world to Arsenal Football Club. And I know there's been a lot of water under the bridge since then and things didn't end well for anyone I don't think and we're not here to relitigate that entire situation or anything like it but at the time it was so so exciting wasn't it that this was what we were a capable of doing financially and b what this guy was going to bring to us on the pitch because he was only 24 when he signed, you know, he was 24 yeah. years of age, heading into the prime years. Um, the, the, the talent was unquestionable. And we were looking at this guy as, oh, well, this is like someone has pulled back the curtain on a new era for Arsenal. That's what that signing felt like. I mean, there were, you know, the Sky Sports pictures on deadline day when it was announced. You know, he's everyone's dancing and jumping around outside <laughs> the stadium. And, you know, it was almost like a almost like we'd won a cup or something. Yeah, it was. I think you. I think you have to remember that it was 
it was eight years since we'd won a cup and I think that yeah. played into it and that you know we did that desperation for that spell without a trophy without competing at the very top and for silverware and in finals just mm. waiting for that hoping for that to end and I, I really think tied up in all of that the celebration the the joy that him signing for Arsenal brought was this we'd lost so many big names in the preceding years yeah in, and especially the the two directly preceding years in, in Fabregas and Van Persie, two truly world-class superstar-level players, mm. for us to be able to nonetheless draw one to, to us, one that yeah, I think there wasn't much indication for most of the summer, like I say, that Real Madrid would even be willing to let him go. I mean, how times have changed a little bit recently, but for Real Madrid to not be willing to let a player go or, or not be happy to let a player go, yeah. a player that you know, dovetails so well with, at the time, Cristiano Ronaldo, a player that we'd all seen because I think that was another part of the excitement. Sometimes you sign a player, even the big name players, and people maybe haven't seen so much of them. But Mesut Ozil had burst onto the scene during a World Cup, which means everybody had seen what he was capable of three years earlier. It was, yeah, it was personally definitely the most exciting signing Arsenal have ever made. I don't know if you feel about that. Obviously, you can remember the likes of Burkamp signing for Arsenal better than I can. And and Ian Wright, for example. Uh, I don't know where this ranks alongside those. I think it's, you know, it's different because of the the way that transfers are, are done now and the way that they play out across social media and our internet and everything else. I mean, I remember being amazingly, incredibly excited that we were signing Dennis Bergkamp, but I heard about that signing when I was working in a radio station in Tipperary and I was in the newsroom and the person, the sports person said, oh, Arsenal are signing Dennis Bergkamp. I, mean, I had literally nobody to talk to about it. Nobody there gave a shit. <laughs> yeah. No, nobody in the radio station <laughs> yeah, yeah. cared one bit. And it was like an incredible uh, signing for for Arsenal to make at that time. I remember just thinking, holy shit, Dennis Bergkamp. And I think we, we signed David Platt that not long afterwards or around the same time as well. Um, you know, and it, it, it was just so different because there was no one to share it with. You know, not anyone to call up. You're going to ring someone. Hey, we've signed Dennis Burkamp. Well, I don't care. I don't, you know. <laughs> and there weren't too many people, I'm telling you, working in Tip FM who gave a single shit about Dennis Burkamp or Arsenal or the Premier League or the Premier. Yeah. Yeah. You just, know. Just, just the one. Yeah. Just the one. So I, I, I think you're right. In terms of overall excitement levels, I don't know that there's been anything quite like it since. I know Alexis Sanchez the following year was was an exciting one too, but but certainly this, particularly after the frustration, after losing players, like you said, after a long period where it felt like we couldn't compete with clubs to make the best signings, to sign the best players, just financially we weren't there. So it was like blowing all kinds of cobwebs away. Yeah, and I think our only signing to date that summer, before deadline day, before that one, was it was Matteo Flamini yeah. returning to the club. I think that was the only the only deal we'd done. Oh, Yaya Sanogo on a free transfer as well, if you want to yeah. throw that one in there. Um, yeah. So, you know, to think we went into a summer, we'd, we'd, like I said, we'd ended 2012-13 uh, really, really strongly. Mm. Um, once again, the old Arsenal thing where, and I'm sure this will feature throughout these 
20 podcasts and people saying we were just one signing away and that, <laughs> that, that really was that feeling I think that at the time and probably since then that was the last time or a couple of years after that that's sort of gone away since then since the sort of mid 2010s but there really was that feeling that we were one signing away or, mm. or two signings away and to sign a world-class player having only added Sonogo for free and Flamini returning to the club for free in the summer so far was obviously just yeah just massive and it and he started really really well I mean I think Mesut generally his first few years at Arsenal were really good but the the first half of that first season even then I think he pretty much hit the ground running he got an assist he got an assist in his first game didn't he Sunderland. Yeah. Olivier Giroud um, goal I think yeah yeah, there were the you know early goals against against Napoli and Norwich. Uh, it was sort of all what we expected, I think, when he arrived mm. for those first, at least for that first half a season. Um, and uh, players sometimes take a lot longer to settle, but it didn't feel like that with him. No, he seemed to yeah fit in straight away. That's for sure. That's for sure. What else have we got from twenty thirteen? Well, I mean, it's a little. It's not quite as happy, uh, but... Hey, listen, we're doing 20 years of Arsenal. So <laughs> <laughs> this this podcast, this series of podcasts, it fluctuates between extreme happiness and complete misery. So don't worry yeah. about bringing the tone down. This is, that's that's this why is what I picked 2013. There, there, I don't think there's really... I don't think we delve into complete misery at any <laughs> point in 2013, which is part of the reason that I picked it. I, I definitely didn't want to go into one of those years. Um the start of the year didn't wasn't good. Uh, you know, we we'd lost a few Premier League games. I think we were seven points behind Spurs in fourth. Uh, we sort of recovered a bit, and then we lost at White Hart Lane. Um, so and you know, what? I so I've I've sold this as not too happy, but now I'm just going to laugh about Tottenham. So yep, go for it. It's it's actually pretty fucking great. Um, yeah, White Hart Lane, and we lost two, two one. Per Mertesacker scored, but we were, we didn't ever look like getting back into the game after two 0 down. Um, and then Andre Villas-Boas decided to say that we were now in a negative spiral. <laughs> yeah, the kind of negative spiral that sees you not lose a game between that <laughs> defeat and the end of the season, and somehow Tottenham finish outside the top four. That kind of negative spiral. The kind of negative spiral. Where you go away to Bayern Munich and win 2-0 in your next match and almost um, almost you know beat them on away goals perhaps the greatest uh, the greatest of the, the history the string of glorious failures we had in the Champions League yeah. in that period to, to go uh, obviously they ended up winning the Champions League that year and, and the treble they'd been in the final the previous year as well so I don't think there's any doubt that they were really the top team in Europe at the time Barcelona mm. Had 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 that crown over the previous four or five years. I think Bayern beat them seven nil, seven one in the across the two Champions League semi final legs that season. Wow! To to think that we got within one goal and, and within a, you know one more chance maybe. Uh, I of remember knocking them out. I remember that winning. game. They were like they literally in the last five minutes. They were doing the thing where they were keeping the ball in the corner flag. Uh, up as far away from their own goal as yeah. possible, uh, which is, you know, fiercely annoying, but also, you know, in some ways a backhanded compliment, you know, that there was a, a sense that they, they kind of needed just to be as safe as possible. 
they strolled to the Bundesliga title that year. They, like I said, they beat Barcelona. They scored seven against Barcelona, definitely across the two legs at the semi-final. I think we're the only team that even came close to scaring them. I think you're right that last. And they let's not kid around either. They smashed us at the Emirates. Um, they just walked through us completely. To go to Munich and score early and then score late. Uh, I think we were probably the only team that gave them a real scare in the Champions League that season. And it was this horrible Jekyll and Hyde Arsenal, I guess, where we could turn up and I think we'd just been knocked out of the the FA Cup by Blackburn a few weeks earlier as well. (laughs) But then we can go to Munich and win 2-0. It's just completely ridiculous. It was also the feistiest I've ever seen Arsene Wenger in a press conference, I think. I don't remember that. Was this not the press conference when he was sat next to Mikel Arteta and he was, I think, maybe it was around the Blackburn, somebody had mentioned the Blackburn game. I think it's before the first leg of right. Bayern and someone mentioned the team being weak against Blackburn in the FA Cup and he sort of said, oh, we had nine, ten internationals on the pitch. I'm sure you'll be able to find it somewhere. Yeah. And he really, I think he really snapped. And it was, I think this was the time then talk came out that he was going to sign a new contract. And he had a go, I think, Neil Ashton for, oh, yeah. for running that story because it was sort of suggesting that that story had come out at a particular time when they knew it would be inflammatory yeah, when we'd yeah, just been yeah, knocked yeah. out of the cup and I, and I think he turned around and said oh well we just won't bother playing against Bayern Munich then we're going to lose anyway <laughs> basically Talk, talking uh, you know, along those lines in his pre-match press conference um, I think that was before the first leg which obviously we did lose but yeah I that was one of the first times in a press conference not pitch side that I remember him being really really tense and one of the first times that I genuinely thought that if things didn't improve quickly that that he'd be gone quite soon as Arsenal manager right well yeah I remember that 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 was the you know why why do you look at me and he went the guy went well uh, it's it's your press conference you know (laughs) and and, and then he didn't know what to say right he was sort of like well fine yeah Yeah. good point Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah But you're right. Then we, you know, we played, played Tottenham. We lost at Tottenham and didn't lose again for the rest of the season. And in a bizarrely steady, uneventful kind of way as well. Like a lot of one nils. You mentioned the, you know, I think you mentioned Newcastle at the end of the season. With QPR, we went one nil up in the first minute, and then nothing happened for the other eighty nine minutes. God, yeah, I remember that. I, I think there was a run in that run there was a game against Norwich where we'd gone 1-0 down and scored three goals in the last five minutes to win at home it was a really weird spell where it's like we Arson had sort of just put aside the way that he usually sort of prioritised playing with these principles and trying to play entertaining football and mm. win games with two or three or four goals it, that suddenly results mattered more for that last couple of months of the season and it paid off. Yeah, that was the the Tottenham defeat, if I remember, was the beginning of the end for Thomas Vermaelen. It was after I, that, yeah, yeah that, that he I decided... I looked this up. Yeah. I, I looked this up knowing that we were going to talk about this year. Thomas Vermaelen started 24 of the first 28 games of the Premier League season and then one of the last 10 after the, yeah. the Tottenham game. Yeah, he went. He decided then at that point that Mertesacker-Kashelny was was the partnership for him. I, you know, in, in some way, I guess not 
completely on Vermaelen, but the defending for like at least one of those Tottenham goals was just was just appalling. Um, and I think he knew he had to do something. Um, isn't it isn't it weird looking back, thinking back that Mertesacker arrived in Koscielny in 2010, Mertesacker in 2011, and now we're talking about 23rd March the spring 2013, of, the, the spring of 2013 before Mertesacker and Koscielny was just undoubtedly became the first choice centre back pairing, which is which feels really strange because when they played together and especially when they started playing together, then it felt so obvious that they should that they belonged playing together yeah. alongside each other and we were so much better when they did yeah I agree I mean I do wonder if Mertesacker hadn't had that big injury in his first season whether that might have established itself a bit more quickly but um, yeah look it is yeah when you think about the timing of that possibly just got trapped in this weird captaincy trap that we kept getting trapped in after that spell as well and yeah, Marlon was sort of the vice he was the vice captain right when Van Persie left so it felt like he kind of had to become the new captain and then because of that it felt like he just had to play every game uh it would it would have been hard, I think. I think it's always hard to appoint a new captain and overlook the vice captain, but it would have saved Arsene Wenger quite a few selection headaches if he'd have just gone with Arteta or Mertesacker immediately. Yeah. Rather than handing it to Vermalen at the time just because he'd been at the club longer and because he was the vice captain the previous season. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's a good job. Uh, issues with the captaincy are no longer something that we have to concern ourselves with. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all, not at all. Um, yeah, but that was that was, it was quite the turning point that Tottenham game, and like you say, Vermaelen was out. I had a look as well. Aaron Ramsey, who wasn't really injured at all that season, after he'd sort of fully recovered the previous season, but it felt like we didn't really know what to do with him or where to put him in the side. And Fabregas and Najri had left the previous year, so it felt like he was shoehorned into a more advanced position that didn't really suit him mm. like Vermaelen or the or the opposite really he came into the team for that run it, again I looked he'd started 12 of the first 29 Premier League games of the season and then started the last nine in a row him and Arteta at the base of the midfield and it was just it wasn't the goal scoring Aaron Ramsey that we saw later it was just a sort of the hard working right the hard working box to box Aaron Ramsey you had the, the sort of the first choice back four had been established Arteta was there but it was a bit wishy-washy the, the second half of that season or that whole season after Alex Song had gone who his partner was or should be and mm. it was just during that spell really that Ramsey came in and I think the first time since his injury that we saw him again the and, and everything that he mm. was capable of yeah, I mean, it did. I always thought that was a good partnership when it clicked Arteta and um, Ramsey. You know, they they had quite complementary qualities in that Arteta was so steady at the base of the midfield and Ramsey did a lot of work in there. I think maybe when he started getting the goals in his eyes every game, it, he tilted a little too far towards that mm -hmm. end of the pitch. But when they worked together, I think they worked together really, really well. Where would you where would you rank that in our midfield partnerships of the last? I wouldn't say twenty years because the first ten years kind of picks itself, I guess. But since then, since God, since I'd have Fabregas to think about the all the since Fabregas left. I mean, the thing about Fabregas was that he never really had the proper partner. You know, 
That's my yep. big regret when it comes to Cesc at Arsenal is that he just never had the proper partner. Like, I know we tried to get Xavi Alonso, but mostly it was Diaby or it was Danielson or it was Alex Song. And with the greatest of respect to all of those guys, you know, it's always been a bit like having a, a Ferrari engine in a in a sort of four Cortina body, you know? That's what it felt like to me. So uh, I'm trying to think of partnerships since then. Um, my mind is completely blank now about the players that have oh, been I guess there. you could... Rams, I'd go Ramsey, Arteta, then it sort of became Cazorla and Coquelin. Yeah. I mean, that was mostly Cazorla, I think. Um, no, I mean, again, I do. I think, I think no, Coquelin came in and played really well, but because Orla was just such a special, gifted player that, you know, I think he carried a significant part of that burden. And then everything else since then just involves Granite Xhaka. The less said about that, the better. What else have we got from 2013? <laughs> what else from 2013? Well, Andrew, I have a question for you. How highly in your... In the 20 years, the best mm-hmm. Arsenal goal you've ever seen, how high is Jack Wilshere's goal against Norwich? Pretty high. Pretty high. Like top 10% for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm replaying it in my head here. It is just... Top 10% uh, doesn't sound that high. Okay, top 5% then, for sure. No, maybe it's in the top five. Who knows? I'd like have to the top think five goals. It. Top five. Yeah, that's goals. what I'm just ten. Like, oh, the top five of percent or goals? Because like top ten percent is like. Yeah, that's a lot of goals. I realise. Uh, like ten goals, ten goals, or a hundred goals a season. So you're talking like two hundred goals. Okay, look, listen here, Mr. So Matt, Mr. Mathematician. <laughs> I was just trying to say that it's it's very high up there. It is. Um, in my top five, I'd, again, I'd have to I'd have to read a list of every single Arsenal goal to go over them. But as one of those that sticks in your memory as something that you haven't really seen before, like we've all seen good team goals, we've seen the thumping headers, we've seen the the incredible um, you know long rangers, all of those kinds of things. But as a goal that sticks in your memory because of how rare it was and how just precise everything needed to be for it to happen, it's it's right up there for sure. The, the next thing I wanted to ask you about or bring up is, is a bit of a controversial opinion, I think. Okay. Um, I think 2013 is the best evidence that Santi Cazorla played his best football for Arsenal out wide. I don't know that that's controversial per se. I think I think if I tweeted this, people wouldn't be very happy about me saying it. I think what what would happen is people would think that you're downplaying what he did when he moved centrally at a point where we didn't really have a great deal else, and he was just yeah. so good he could do it. But I don't think it was ideal, or to my mind, the best use of Santi Cazorla. So I would agree with you. In that one, I don't think for me that's oh, not mind, that's then. not controversial. Um, See, I thought we might have an argument about that. No, no. So, so he moved into the he moved out wide. I remember he Thomas Rosicki had injury after injury. Obviously, mm. I think this was the last season that we ever really saw him, and it was only for the last couple of months of the season. Um, and I personally it was because all his first season at the club, and I personally thought he 
not that he was poor before, but came to life when Rosicki was in the team. I don't know if it was playing wide or if it was having another person on his wavelength to play with, uh, you know, in that attacking midfield position, someone mm. to link with and someone on that same wavelength. And then obviously he played wide as well the, the start of the next season because we'd signed Mesut Ozil. But I often thought that Cazorla, that, that was the best that we saw from him. And... Yeah, I, I know. I felt, or I feel that a lot of people would disagree with that. They uh, might do. They might yeah. do because I think it's those performances when he was in the centre of midfield, that Man City game, for example, where he was just so outstanding, and we had such an like. Here's the here's the the reality of the situation that we were in. We had so little to choose from in central midfield that we brought back. Francis Coquelin from Charlton, where he was on loan and was expected to stay after he'd been on loan with Lorient and Freiburg. And his Arsenal career really wasn't going anywhere. And to be fair to him, he came back in and did... I think he did well. Like, I don't think he was ever the best player by any means, but he brought something to that midfield because he saw it as a chance and an opportunity. And I think the pairing with... with Cazorla uh, worked really well but I, I think you get more out of Santi when you play him higher up the pitch yeah that's what and that's what I wanted to bring on to Thomas Rosicki because it was the last I think it was the last time we ever saw like a real run of games from him for Arsenal um, and I just wanted to ask what I know that you're a big fan of his or I think you're a big fan of his and wanted to ask what you what you think of Thomas Rosicki basically I really liked him. I think his career was so um, was so affected by by injury. I mean, he did stay at the club until 2016. So, you know, there, there was a contribution that uh, he was able to make. I remember when we sold Robert Perez, or Robert Perez left, and then. Uh, was announced we were going to bring in Thomas Rosicki and the first thing that he did was smash in a goal against the US at the World Cup in 2006 and I was thinking yes and then he scored his first goal for Arsenal was it against Dortmund? It was in the Champions uh, League anyway. Ha- Hamburg. Sure. Hamburg. Hamburg. That's where right. we had Dubai on the front of our shirts. That's because right. Because they, they were sponsored by Fly Emirates. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I really liked him. I just think it's a shame that, that you know, the injuries took their toll the way they did because um, his technical quality was, was outstanding. And he was one of those players who could give you just that burst of five, ten yards through the lines in tight games that, that made a difference. So, yeah, I was a I was a fan. Yeah, he. I think people now, I've seen quite a few people compare or say that Smith Rowe reminds them of Rosicki. And I, I think that it's true in the best way possible in that yeah. Rosicki sped everything up when we played. I think Smith Rowe does a similar thing for the team now. We were a team back then that, you know, that, that whole walk the ball into the goal kind of thing that people like to say about us. And he just injected something into the game. And I think it was 2013 was the second year in a row, basically, that he came into the team for me and got us into the Champions League. Mm. Should we just very finally talk about the... You know, the start to that season, we already talked about Mesut Ozil and when he came in, but but at one point, I think we were in November or December, something like five points clear at the top of the table after a run of a run of um, 
wins in the did we win like something like seven eight in a row or we went unbeaten for eight and then we you know we got to december and it was going well and then there was that man city game where mesut ozil didn't say didn't didn't say thank you to the fans and per mertesacker scolded him very publicly about (laughs) it but you know when it comes to the premier league we weren't too far away until you know the end of the towards the end of that season things started to go really wrong but you know it was a very very strong start to the season after you know that Aston Villa game had everybody in in high dudgeon yeah I think this was we were like properly in a title race this year uh we fell off early in that title race and and that's obviously you know something for 2014 but 2013 I don't know if we ended the year but I think we ended the year top of the table we we were really good. The Villa game was obviously poor. We lost again at Old Trafford because that's what happened mm. back then. Um, and we did lose the game at City. I mean, Everton and Chelsea at home as well. Two draws and Olivier Giroud had chances to win both. Frustratingly. But otherwise, we were really good. We were defensively solid. That same base that you mentioned or that we talked about that had ended 2013 was still the base of the the team, the midfield, the, the same mm. back four, Kieran Gibbs, that centre-back partnership, Bakri Sanya, and then Ramsey and Arteta ahead of them. But we'd added Mesut Ozil and Aaron Ramsey had added a goal every two games pretty yeah. much. So we, we looked like a, a proper team. I think for the first time for a few years, we looked like a team. You know, the previous seasons had all been about recovering in the second half of the season. Mm. Like the last two seasons, at least, had been about recovering and, and scraping forth on the final day, that sort of thing. Uh, this, this did fall off, obviously, and there was a brief time when it looked like we Everton might pip us to fourth when we'd gone on a really bad run. But... 2013, I mm. think we were the best team or the team that picked up the most points in England. So, yeah, it's it. Looking back, that's one of the seasons in the in the years since we haven't won a league title where I look back and think we definitely could have actually won the league that year. Yeah, we well, we should have been contenders. We could have been contenders, as they say. Um, but it, it does help when one of your midfielders starts scoring a goal every other game. It certainly but, does. Everything just sort of clicked with that side. I thought it was a really likable Arsenal team, for want, maybe want of a better word. Yeah. You know, with, with Arteta and Ramsey, with Mirza Ozil coming in, Kazola, Walcott, Giroud. It was maybe the last time or one of the last times that Jack Wilshere was really fit, like mm. really fit for half a season and, and could plug into those sort of attacking midfield positions and got taken out of the centre of the pitch where he was getting kicked so much. It was a really good Arsenal team, and not just in the league, but we, you know we won in Dortmund in the Champions League. I think we topped the group with the group that had them and Napoli in it as well. So yeah. a really tough Champions League group. We ripped Napoli apart at the Emirates and and won in Dortmund. It was a, a really good side and you know some really good performances. Aaron Ramsey's goal scoring run obviously sticks out in that whole period as the thing that propelled us but it was by no means him and him alone no no it wasn't and like you say it was a it was a it was a good team that played good football and probably should have done more but uh 2014 is to come in another episode some some ups and downs in that one but for now we'll leave it there lewis thank you for uh thank you for reliving 2013 and some of the moments with us uh, much appreciated mm-hmm. My pleasure, Andrew. I just hope the podcast doesn't go on a negative spiral from here until 2021. (laughs) 
<laughs> Let's hope not. <laughs> there you go. I've set you up for a winner. So. Thank you. Thank you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Lewis is on Twitter at LG Ambrose, at LG Ambrose. And of course, you can hear Lewis before every Premier League game. We do a preview podcast over on Patreon. If you want to sign up for that, you can do it at patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Just one of the extra things you get if you become an arsblog member on Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Arsplog. Right, let's leave 2013 behind because there is an auspicious year coming up in which we see the end of the trophy drought and much more besides. Thanks for listening to this one, and we will, of course, as we always do, catch you on the next one. Until then, etc. Cheers. Bye bye. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.